0: Welcome to Jason and the Movie Knots. I'm Jason Sachs. And I'm Keith Silva. And we are discussing two kind of oddball Alfred Hitchcock films, The Trouble with Harry. Spoilers, he's dead. (laughs) And Frenzy from uh, his penultimate film from the early 1970s. Yeah, Keith, these are a pretty diverse couple of Hitchcock films and definitely not representative of his work, but both kind of outstanding fascinating works by themselves
1: yeah i I think hitchcock and comedy isn't the first thing you think of which trouble with harry is pitched as a black comedy and frenzy is the sort of you know thought of as the last real thriller hitchcock thriller uh no 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 shade on family plot Um, but i would say that you know the more you watch these movies and the more i thought about them they're very hitchcock they're, they're they're as much as they might be sort of odd oddities or oddballs in in the hitchcock canon they have all the trappings of hitchcock even trouble with harry which seems the, the least hitchcock hitchcock but um, there's a lot of things i think we'll we'll get to that make these very much hitchcock films whatever that means
0: yeah i definitely see it in frenzy frenzy is just Kind of a lot okay. of his things kind of piped up to a slightly more mature level trouble with harry is an odd odd flick in a few ways as you're saying yeah, uh, yeah. you know it, it's much of it was filmed on site although apparently the filming on site didn't work the way he had hoped it would <laughs> to yes say the right,
1: right right here in, in in good old state of vermont
0: so yeah did you choose this because of your kind of vermont connection keith yes and did, did you like yeah. the setting uh, yeah, I love it.
1: I mean, you know, the opening of it is, there's, there's two things, you know, in my in my day job, you know, I do, I, I'm, I'm filming, I'm telling stories, I'm doing video. And I, when I read that they're like, yeah, it was a really rainy fall. I'm like, it's a really rainy fall all the time. You get very <laughs> rare days, or uh, picture postcard of, you know, the foliage is at peak and it's a bluebird kind of sky day. Um, most of the time it's cloudy and rainy. Um, So when I read that, I was like, I've been there, Hitch. I'm I'm with you, buddy.
0: (laughs) Did the setting ring true to you, though? Did did that look like a real place you've been?
1: Um, Yeah, I was telling somebody about this movie and and saying that I had watched it. And, um, you know, Vermont has lots of back roads, lots of dirt roads in Vermont. But the center of town, they've been paved now. So when I see the center of Craftsbury Commons and a couple of these other places, they're no longer dirt roads. There's actually some uh, some blacktop there. So, um, but but very much it looks very much like Vermont. It looks very much like home. So, uh, I liked
0: it. The people seem like Vermont people to you.
1: Yes, so, they the, did. The
0: movie basically centers around what nine, maybe ten people, if you count Harry. Oh,
1: I think you're being generous. I'd say like five, but yeah, <laughs> all of whom
0: have some little story around them in their lives. Yeah, all of whom feel like they could have had a reason for killing Harry. uh but all of them seem like very kind of i guess buttoned up kind of nor'easterners
1: yeah 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 it was based on a british novel it's interesting we picked two movies that are both the source material comes from british novels or originally published in england um and this is very much a a rural story a, a country story trouble with harry um and that was something that you know in transposing that with frenzy you know looking at them side by side the people in trouble and harry are very much not to quote uh Flannery o'connor but they're good country people um yeah. they're very simple they're very uh you know uh. say what they mean but they're high they, they also are all hiding something there's always something with each of them that is just under the surface. They they strike me as Yankees. You know, what we would call Yankees around here.
0: I just read some O'Connor. That's a great analogy. Because, yeah, the people in the stories I've read all have something else under the surface. Yeah. That's kind of the flaws that make them the the interesting people. people. here. What's that? Terrible people,
1: racists, I I, I held
0: myself back from calling them terrible people. (laughs) I love the former sea captain in this movie. So I, I would never call him terrible.
1: Oh no, the Flannery O'Connor people are terrible. Yeah, country people are bad. That's what Flannery O'Connor is trying to tell you. But no, uh, Captain Willis is a good guy. He's a good guy.
0: He is. He's He's quite a character. I like all the people in this movie.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think that's the other thing is that it's also the you know in a country setting in a rural setting there's this you know thought of. I know for a big city slicker like you, you know, you look down on these (laughs) rural, uh, you know. yokels but
0: well thank you for the slander i appreciate it
1: (laughs) but they're very but but they're very um they're very genuine they're very you know what you see is what you get um and they they do not suffer fools at all uh which is always a good thing
0: now some of my favorite scenes are uh when the the painter john for the john forsyth character sam marlowe i almost read this sam malone i almost had this like me too. moment where my eyes popped up again <laughs> um, and he's, he's got his paintings and I think it's Mrs. Wiggs, right, who's selling them at her little yep. s- stand there and she's kind of patronizing him oh, why don't you draw some real figures and stuff, yeah. but another lovely painting that I'll never sell
1: yep. Yep. yep,
0: and it just felt like this kind of, yeah, very Yankee kind of backhanded compliment in him being again like this, this kind of hard-headed Northeasterner is like, yeah, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing because that's what I'm going to do Right. It makes me happy. I'm whistling down the path because it just makes me happy to do what I do.
1: Yeah, yeah. Taking that train to Tuscaloosa or, or uh, whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, and I think you, you know, Mrs. Willis and uh, I'm glad to see they were well, you know, whoever did the uh, production design, lots of good uh, maple syrup cans up there. So I was good to see that as a member of UVM extension. It's always good to promote maple. Uh, <laughs> glad uh, Hitchcock was doing that in 55 or 54 whenever they made this. And, um, you know, I, I, I also really like just everything about it feels very authentic. And I think that's mm. the one thing about Trouble with Harry that, you know, for as strange as it is and for as nonchalant as everyone is about a corpse, um, it's all very authentic. Like, you know, with the exception of Shirley MacLaine, I buy everybody in that movie as being who they are.
0: OK, so let's get to MacLaine in a minute. Okay, uh, I think that is a commonality between these two films, mm. between Frenzy and Trouble with Harry. They both have very strong senses of setting, yep, and they both have very real feeling characters who seem mm. true to themselves and true to their environments. Mm. And I think that's at the core of what makes these movies really good, and oddly a little out of out of the normal Hitchcock curve, because he's not a yeah. he's not a director who's well known for his realistic characters they're right. vivid characters but they're not right. always realistic characters
1: right and with hitchcock it's always more of the, the the feeling the emotion that you're getting from the film that you're watching rather than you know a particular character or a particular you know line of dialogue or anything mm-hmm. like that he's trying to create a mood he's the ultimate you know mood kind of director that was you know that's his thing it's film
0: right and it, you feel something. It's not a complaint. I think it's, in this case, it's, it's a feature, not a bug. Um, and, you know, you think about some of his most memorable characters, Norman Bates is in some ways, well, I guess, I guess we kind of learn about Norman Bates, but he is kind of enigmatic in a way. Uh, Marnie, uh, yeah. certainly Vertigo is about basically finding yourself. Right, the unknowable <laughs> literally the unknowable unknowable about yourself and like the beauty of rear window is that it's kind of um, the two characters journey to actually appreciating each other the murder is kind of the the facilitation yep. of the two of them coming together
1: yeah
0: yeah uh but in this case these these characters are just these quirky people so what, yeah, was, that- your, what was the thing you didn't like about Shirley MacLaine
1: Oh, I just think of all the characters, she seemed to be the one that was the most. I didn't buy her as a mom. You know, she could be a young mother, but I think the other thing is once you recognize it's Shirley MacLaine, of course, people didn't in 1955. It's her first movie. She's the one that really pops off the screen for me. I mean, they—they—they are all uh, Forsyth and Gwen and uh, I can't remember the name of the the other McKinley. Um, and of course, Jerry Mathers as Arnie. Yeah. Jerry Mathers as Arnie. Um, before, before, <laughs> you, you know.
0: How old do you think Jerry Mathers was supposed to be?
1: Oh, eight, seven?
0: Okay. Like seven a kid, or eight. kid. And how old do you think Shirley MacLaine's character was supposed to be? <laughs> like
1: 25, is that? Yeah.
0: So she was, a, she had to be a teen mom. <laughs> right. right. Got married yeah. very, yeah. very, very young
1: very 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 young yeah okay this is
0: 1955 or whatever
1: right 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 yeah even if arnie's five right and she's 22 you know still it's (laughs) you know she she you know the funny thing in it is the the spinster there i'll I'll have to look her name up because i keep it's terrible to call her that but um
0: mrs gravely
1: mrs gravely thank you Mrs. Gravely, Gravely, excuse
0: me, you know, says she's 40. would never be Mrs. Gravely.
1: Right, right. Miss Gravely says she's 40, you know, or 42 or whatever. And I'm like, okay, you know, sure. But, uh, you know, and, you know, that's not really what she is and all that stuff. But yeah, Shirley MacLaine, it's clear that she's a movie star, even with this first movie, Mm -hmm. even with this debut, it's just there's something magnetic about her that sort of pops off the screen but it's a first job. I mean, it probably was for Foresight too. Gwyn and uh, Miss Gravely are much more, you know, character actor kind of uh, uh, characters, but yeah, I, it's nothing I didn't like about Shirley MacLaine. She was just the only one that I was like, really? Okay, so be it.
0: Uh, yeah, uh, Forsyth had done quite a few other bits of work yeah. before this, he had been acting Kind of full time since at least the late nineteen forties. Yeah, Um it, it. Yeah, I mean, I was watching a documentary where an interview with her rather. She says this was her first film. Yep. Um, she had been a dancer before that. Yep. And somehow she had connected to Hitchcock through her ballet work. Yeah. And she was telling a story about how uh, he was kind of she was kind of his pet during the film, mm-hmm. and they would eat every meal together. In fact, yep. uh, she mentions that they ate uh, pancakes and waffles every day with that fine, hundred percent pure Vermont maple syrup. You got it, baby. Um, I liked her. She's sweet. Sweet in the film. Yeah. I use that word reservedly, but she's like she seems like just a genuinely sweet person in the film.
1: Yep, yep. She 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 got mixed up with uh, <laughs> with Harry's brother. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and then, and then Harry and the family, and there was something going on there. but, yeah, I think for in general, um, she's not a she's not a, uh, uh, she's not a fool. She's not, you know, just, you know, she's just a regular person, very genuine, very who she is. It's just, for me, it's it's a quibble more than anything else because I think the other thing is she holds her own with those other actors. I mean, um you know Edmund Gwynn had been you know this is like his fifth Hitchcock movie Mm -hmm. you know third or fourth I think and anyhow she she holds her own right on screen and it's her it's that movie star quality that's what she has that the others don't in some
0: ways she shares it with Warren Beatty I mean yeah both of them just have this presence somehow on screen I, I don't know anything about their parents but um they obviously really encourage it Encourage some sort of, uh, you know, star ability to them. Yeah. Um, I yeah. The more I think about her character, Jennifer, the more I don't know. The more I kind of like her. I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When you consider she probably was pregnant in high school, maybe had to drop out of high school. Yeah. Um, and because of that, she had to always be kind of independent. Yeah. Someone who took care of herself and someone who just had this yankee spirit of you know uh perseverance and yeah. stick to it. yeah
1: she's
0: you know obviously a pretty decent mom
1: yeah, arnie seems to be well raised he's a little too close to dead animals but you know kids <laughs> kids are going to be kids so
0: <laughs> when he's swinging around that dead rabbit i'm like shouldn't say should someone say something to this kid about swinging a dead rabbit that's like so dead it's like stiff i mean <laughs> yeah. first of all super creepy yeah yeah. second of all like i'd be really worried about insects living in the the (laughs) rabbit like lice and uh you know uh, maggots yeah (laughs) flies buzzing around it but no it's okay yeah kids
1: kids were different in the 50s you 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 know had a little (laughs) dirt on you you're all right
0: kids will be kids i suppose
1: yeah 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 um there's a couple things i want to bring up one thing i wanted to say that um uh cinephile that you are do you own this book no one can see it's called hitchcock and Truffaut.
0: no it's one i've been wanting to read for a while
1: yeah this is one uh if you are interested in hitchcock uh and his films uh you know it's alfred hitchcock being interviewed over the course of I forget what it is—six hundred hours or something ungodly like that—by Francois Truffaut. So it's it's an absolute must for any cinephile and anyone really interested in um, Hitchcock. They talk about every single movie. That's the amazing thing is they break down every movie, and um,
0: that's all, all the just, interviews Truffaut did for the old French magazine, right?
1: Uh, No, it started off as Kaidu Cinema, but it was, uh, Truffaut basically says to Hitchcock, look, I want to interview you about all your films. I think it's going to take us about 600 hours. Are you interested? And he had been assigned to cover Hitchcock when he was writing for Kaidu Cinema, but he ended up um, doing this project with Hitchcock and Hitchcock just Neither of them spoke the language. There's a great documentary on it. It used to be, it's kicking around, Hitchcock okay. Truffaut. Huh. And um there was an interpreter. And so, you know, uh she would Truffaut would ask a question, and you know, the interpreter would ask Hitchcock and she would interpret his answers back. So it's absolutely fabulous that you had a a, a French speaker and an English speaker, and neither of them spoke the other person's language. But right. they spoke the language of cinema, Jason. That's yeah, they
0: the probably book. were incredibly good friends though from that
1: yeah Yeah. you
0: you bring this up in the context of trouble with harry i'm sure
1: yeah um just an interesting thing is it doesn't get a lot of coverage um one of the things i like about Truffaut, he introduces it and he says this is a very unusual film and i'm like okay ft you got it buddy it's a very unusual film um and one of the things that i brought up about it was just you know one of just letting you know and and listeners know that it's sort of the definitely the thing you want to uh check out if you haven't got a chance to yet but also just um one of the things that Truffaut brings up is he talks about he talks about what you know why why it's such a different movie for Hitchcock and Hitchcock kind of says yeah, it is, but really it isn't because what he loves is understatement. He loves that sense of humor and sort of Mm -hmm. did it as a way uh, to sort of test American audiences. And the story about, you know, this movie is, it's this oddball movie in Hitchcock's, you know, uh, au revoir, but it's also very much a very personal film for Hitchcock. Like he liked this thing. He liked what he did. He knew he wasn't going to sell it. And it flopped in America, but it played for two straight years in France because they get cinema and they get smart movies and <laughs> people don't in America. But, you know, Hitchcock loved it. He said his favorite line comes from this movie, which is um, what seems to be the trouble captain, which Miss Gravely says to uh, Willis as he's dragging the body. That's I guess that's, <laughs> you know, Alfred Hitchcock's sense of humor. Um, and so, you know... I, The other thing about it that I think is really interesting is very personal for Hitchcock is so the scene where the deputy sheriff comes in with the with the portrait right he says you know did you did you paint this Um, you know what's this about right and it seemed to me to be a very direct statement about like almost Hitchcock talking to his audience talking to critics where do your ideas come from you know where what what where do you come up with this, you know, twisted sense of humor or twisted sense of, you know, all these terrible things. And um, Foresight delivers this line. I wrote it down. Um, uh, he says something about that memory comes, It's it, where did this picture come from? He's like memory and half forgotten impulses emerge from the shadows of abstract emotion. Um, and he doesn't need a model to draw from. And that really feels to me like Hitchcock you know explaining himself to his audience to his viewers and then this line about how clearly you misinterpret my art and I just that really caught me on this on watching this is just like yeah that's kind of you know the filmmaker speaking to critics or audiences like you don't know me you don't you know you think you do but and I'm explaining myself to you but you know draw your own conclusions don't come back to me for it
0: why do you presume to know everything I'm going to do just because I've done this in a certain way in the past? Yep. And of course, part of what makes this movie such an entertaining movie is that he subverts that exact moment, right?
1: Yeah.
0: This is the moment that you're used to in every Hitchcock film where someone has this discovery and it changes the plot and suddenly the people go down for the wrong thing. For committing the crime or whatever it right. may be, think of right. strangers on a train. Right there's a discovery and then a downfall. Here, yep. like yep. there's a discovery and they play it off, and nothing ever really happens from it.
1: Yep. Spoilers: the movie yeah, came yeah. out in
0: 1955, whatever. But um, right, and so he's like actually undercutting his this undercutting his his tropes by having the scene play out in this way. Yeah, and it's a pretty daring moment, really.
1: Yeah. I think it has one of the best Hitchcock um, misdirections in all of his movies, The Closet Door, that keeps like open, and you're like, oh, what's behind the closet door? What's behind the closet door? And of course, you know, spoilers for trouble with Harry, nothing, (laughs) you know, total, total sellout. And then, you know, uh, Beaver appears and he's like, what's this guy doing in the tub? You know, and and you get totally like, like, it's just that masterful manipulation of you know, toying with the audience and using film as as a piece of art and a way to elicit emotions—it's just amazing, just killer.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was feeling a little bit on the edge of my seat that whole entire yeah. scene yeah. because he's prepped me for that, and then he let—it uh, doesn't actually pay off. And, and in its own way, it's like very—I I, this is the last words phrase anyone to use for Hitchcock, but it's very punk rock in a way. Yeah, yeah, right. It's like. No, screw you, you think what's going to happen? No, we're going to do this other thing.
1: Yep, yep. We're going to make it even more simple.
0: (laughs) Yes, I'm going to bring it down even more. Well, that's the other thing about this film is it doesn't really follow a classic narrative structure at all.
1: Nope, nope, nope. And, And it's all built around a dead body. It's all built around a corpse. And, you know, it's comical that they keep burying... And exhuming the body and burying it again and exhuming it again. And and it's all played for laughs. I mean, and at some point, it's not even played for laughs to the audience, but the characters are just like, oh, well, you know.
0: Not well, there song. again, is that symbolism for Hitchcock? Because he's like, I got to continue repeating myself over and over. Got to dig up the body and bury the body. Yeah, dig up great. body and bury the body. Yeah, Right, I've been doing this since... The 39 steps or whatever.
1: Right, right, right. Since the 30s. <laughs> yeah,
0: I've been doing yeah. this since, yeah, before there yeah. was sound in movies. Right, right,
1: right, right, right. Um, great, uh, That that's a great segue because, you know, as much as this movie is, you know, it's very, di- there's a lot of dialogue. There's a lot of discussion about what to do with Harry and how to get out of this. Um, one of the things, and it comes out in frenzy a lot more, but there is an incredible silent sequences that are all just about, I mean, you talk about he started in silent pictures. You know, he really was in that place of letting the picture tell the story, letting Mm -hmm. you see it. That shot, that whole sequence when Arnie's walking through the beautiful Vermont countryside and all those long shots of foliage and everything like that. And then that shot when he comes upon Harry's body that is just—I mean—that's going to be one of the best shots in all of Hitchcock, with him standing over in the feet in the foreground, and 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 Arnie, you know, standing there with his toy gun, which is clearly a toy, which is really interesting for 1955. You know, it's like a space gun, but it's yellow and you know, purple and whatever. It doesn't look like a a real gun at all. Um, just awesome that shot. I was just like uh, watching it again today, I was just like, oh man. That's just like you die for. It's just
0: awesome. If you think of the first shot of a film as being like the statement shot. Yeah. It's a hell of an odd statement to make, right?
1: Yeah. 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 And it's this kid coming over a dead body. I have, you know, one of the things with Hitchcock and he remade movies, his own movies, you know, Man Who Knew Too Much um, was, was a remake of the original idea this seems to me like somebody like the coen brothers could do an awesome trouble with harry Mm -hmm. set in like a modern modern day uh you know modern day setting um and just you know again there's nothing funny about you know a corpse but you know in the right hands
0: (laughs) so my only complaint that may be a modern complaint is i wish this movie had moved a little more quickly. Yeah. There's times, especially in the scenes where the McLean and Forsyth characters are just hanging out, yeah, where it does kind of drag a bit.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, it it you know we talked before about um, forget what movie we were talking about, but this is kind of a hangout movie. This is a lot of characters hanging out, playing bridge, eating blueberry muffins, um, drinking lemonade. <laughs> you know, the, the, the there's there's it's like anti action. It's like anti intrigue. It's understated, you know.
0: Um, and considering when this came out in the middle of him making six movies in three years, right? this right. is like his little kind of deep breath. Okay. When well we're doing the next one.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I have to shout out as well because you already brought it up. So, I mean, my favorite Hitchcock is rear window of all of them. That is my favorite movie. I've never, that's a movie that's just perfection all the way. Um, and it was written by John Michael Hayes who wrote this movie. And how about this for uh, um, how about this for a run, Jason? So John Michael Hayes, the screen, screen, screenwriter, writes Rear Window in 54, To Catch a Thief in 55, The Trouble with Harry in 55, The Man Who Knew Too Much in 56, and Peyton Place in 57. So he gets four Hitchcock movies and this other, you know, wildly mainstream, you know, straight up, you know, hit. Uh, that's a pretty good run. And if you can write Rear Window, you um, know you know, you're your tops in my book so
0: how can you have a run like that like like yeah there's very few people who even have anything close to that in their careers
1: yeah. you get directors who go on runs definitely but screenwriters it's a little trickier um and yeah I mean like I said rear window to catch a thief and trouble with Harry like that that's a career right there but.
0: yeah I guess that is Hitchcock's string right because it was mm-hmm. uh I guess the, the the six movies in three years were Rear window to catch a thief, the trouble with Harry, the remake of Man Who Knew Too Much and The Wrong Man. Yep. And then he followed that with Vertigo, North by Northwest, and Psycho. I mean, just think about actually four. <laughs> think of the four movies in a row there Vertigo, yeah. North by Northwest, Psycho, and The Birds.
1: Yeah. Like yeah. Legit,
0: four legitimately like top 100 movies.
1: Right. Top 20. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, 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 all, all just dead on classics.
1: Yeah. Yeah, just uh, just amazing, amazing. And the other thing to know about this one is in the in the Hitchcock, you know, movies is this is his first collaboration with Bernard Herrmann.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you called that out.
1: Yeah, and and he says his favorite Bernard Herrmann score. Okay, whatever. <laughs> you know, everybody, has, <laughs> everyone's entitled to their opinion. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't even, think so.
1: Yeah, even Alfred Hitchcock. But yeah, I don't think so. But 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 you know when you listen to it, you can hear. Oh, okay, that's clearly like you hear it. You're like, that sounds familiar. And yeah, it's it's Bernard Herrmann, but it's again, got it's Herman, but again, feel to it. Yeah, yeah, it's very you know. But it's funny. There's you know these light motifs that can sort of go on. It's it's wild.
0: Oh yeah, God, wild. no, you can't. Comp- again, that that string of four movies has the most magnificent scores in it.
1: Right, right.
0: With Psycho, a Psycho has to be the greatest film score of all time just because it's lived for so long
1: yeah it's iconic you know that's the it's other like jaws
0: it. it's that's like maybe two, want to of there I mean, being iconic
1: if you talk about movie scores those are the things that are at the top and then everything else is below that yeah. Mm-hmm. yep
0: yeah I mean Trouble Harry isn't a great film I'd rank it like mid-tier Hitchcock in yeah. terms of my favorite but it's this really nice palette clearer mm-hmm. and it's this kind of nice little anomaly right I mean, you yeah. think about just the women he worked with in this set of movies. It's kind of nice to have it be Shirley MacLaine, who's not being shown as this kind of immaculate blonde um, symbol of something. Yeah. The the lead characters are, you know, none of them are kind of classic Hollywood legend type people. And there's just this kind of very modest feel to it. That's so pleasant.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I I think the other part of it too, and we'll get into this as we talk about Frenzy, they're much more, and I hate this word, I hate, they're much more likable characters. They have a lot more presence. I think the four main characters in this story are much more um, interesting, much more authentic than the characters we get in Frenzy. I think the characters in Frenzy being that same sort of not Hollywood starlets I mean these two movies right are there's no um, Edmund Gwynn is like the most famous (laughs) character in the four movies and I think in some ways I'll I'll read you a Truffaut quote in a little while but um, you know these four characters are definitely much more endearing than the than the main characters in uh, Frenzy.
0: Oh Frenzy Um, I think by by design they're meant to be unlikable they're all meant to be selfish and nasty and self-serving and obnoxious so, in some way or another
1: the performances aren't as strong that's what i'm saying the performances oh. in this are much stronger than the performances in frenzy
0: yeah they're more mannered too i think
1: yeah they're doing something totally different but i just think the actors the quality of actor in trouble with harry is much at a much higher level they're playing a much more advanced you know you know maybe not that 3d chess uh, but they're, they're definitely playing advanced chess.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it certainly feels like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, since we're transitioning over, um, Frenzy's a movie, so I, I, I had only watched up to the birds in my Hitchcock watch. And then recently I watched all five of the remaining movies Hitchcock did. Uh, mm-hmm. Marnie, Torn Curtain, Topaz, Frenzy, and Family Plot. Mm-hmm. And uh, Marnie took me a long time to really understand it, ended up understanding mm-hmm. it. I despise Torn Curtain. (laughs) I thought it was like I actually turned it off. Wow. And um, I also had trouble with Topaz. Mm -hmm. Specifically John Vernon playing a Cuban character. It knocked me out of the movie. I just couldn't get into it. And then I put on Frenzy, really just hoping I'll get something out of it. And for the first minute of the film, I just was caught up in the mood and the setting. Mm -hmm. And I uh, just discovered this kind of semi lost classic mm. because um it it is a fascinating film in so many ways, right? It's in some ways, Hitchcock freed from the Hayes code, able to do what he wants to do. um, you know we chatted about that a little bit ago, too, you mm. know this this unfettered feeling, and then this the idea that nearly the entire movie was set in real places. Yeah. Just gave it this care- kind of sense of place that really carried the movie forward for me.
1: Mm. Yeah, especially knowing
0: that- now that Covent Garden isn't there anymore, right? In that same place, um, it's this kind of weird, kind of wistful feeling of a lost place.
1: Yeah, I, I think it has that feeling of being very London, you know, being very, very much a London movie. I mean, that's the other thing about you know. If you if you didn't know Frenzy was set in London, Hitchcock lets you know in the first second of the first frame of the film with this long shot down the Thames um, as it's going along. I, I kind of felt like, you know, we uh, talking about the Hayes Code and how the how that really affected movies. I was thinking to myself, you know, this is like the most TNA uh, Hitchcock. Like if you liked Psycho but didn't think there was enough TNA. I'm like frenzy is your movie, um, because and it almost felt out of place for me. I was watching it and I was like, oh yeah, that's right, you know, I, we, we we can get away with things now. And it, uh, I almost like the not seeing more than like you know, breasts right in my face. Um, you know, that, yeah. So that's let's
0: let's dig into that mode. because I was thinking about that as as I was watching this. Is yeah. this old man doesn't get it and so therefore has to have a nudity. Like he has to prove his bona fides, or does it actually right, fit right, the plot? Right. <laughs> so we have, I think, if memory serves, there's four different moments where we have nudity in the film. Yep. The first is the scene of the naked woman floating um, in the Thames. Floating in the Thames, and we see the this dead woman's naked butt. And I think in that case, it totally is appropriate. Yeah. Um, and then the second scene, which I'm sure we'll talk about a lot, is that long, prolonged rape scene. Yeah where he pulls down her shirt and we see yeah. the breast. Yeah. Um, the nudity is just another element that makes that completely horrific to me. Right. That could have not been included, but the fact it was just kind of accentuates the pain of that scene. Yep. Then there's the third scene, which is a quick back scene of the girlfriend getting out of bed naked and, and oh, going yeah, the to the bathroom. Oh yeah, she the bathroom, yep. A little gratuitous. Because um, we already knew she was, they were having sex, and right. um, so okay, that's the, that's the gratuitous. And at the very end, um, it's we see the woman who had been strangled, and he pulls down the. She's naked in the bed. He pull uh, our our oh, yeah. hero pulls down the the sheets, sheet. and we see her naked breasts. Yeah. Again, you could argue it either way, but to me, that didn't feel gratuitous because it fits the moment. Yeah. So I would argue that with one exception, all four of those moments kind of fits the movie.
1: Yeah, I, and I also think that, you know, it's, it works with the, I mean, maybe in, the, in the, the, it's like the worst thing to say, but in the rape, it makes more sense. And in the opening scene, it makes more sense, but there's no reason why any of these people have to be seen naked. You know, or, yeah. or or and they're all women. Obviously, you have that one scene with um, with a Blaney outside where he strips down, and you see him in his underwear. Right. Um, and I realize, you know, male frontal male nudity is a no no, so um, you're never going to get that. But it's definitely one of those things where gratuitous, uh, maybe, but also that feeling that just like it fits. Whether it whether it's too, fits too well or, or it's too uncomfortable, it works.
0: I think the fact we see, okay, so Hitchcock is in the crowd during the speech the parliamentarian is making yeah. where we see the naked woman flowing down yeah. the river. There's a statement there, right? Mm. He's saying, I see this as well as you do. Right. And um, I'm doing this because, and, and we see everyone getting upset we see people talking about it may bring up jack the ripper immediately yeah and it's meant to make us feel upset off-centered mm. and to know that hitchcock is there looking at this as we're looking at it yeah. we get this feeling like okay this isn't this isn't us not seeing janet lee in the shower
1: mm-hmm.
0: right this is this is him making a statement i'm going to do something you don't expect in this film. i'm going to show you so therefore you're off balance for the rest of the movie in part because we have this this kind of dislocation
1: yeah yeah great point yeah
0: um it's interesting too because this movie is a classic it takes a lot of classic hitchcock tropes and just oh, yeah. does them in different ways
1: yep.
0: yep i mean it's the classic um man wrongly accused of murder right And yet both men are just despicable human
1: beings. (laughs) And it also, much like Psycho, gives you, tells you who the killer is almost right away. You know who's responsible. You know, you know who killed. uh, You know, maybe in Psycho, you don't know, but you know. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You just don't know how. Um, But yeah, I mean, that's the other thing. And, you know, I really think that the scene that I think I liked that was the most Hitchcock, you know, was very Hitchcock is very early on. Um, they're in the bar and the two businessmen are talking and they're talking about the necktie murders and, you know, something uh, about, I think that tie was from my club or whatever. And Blaney is sitting in the background, um, John Finch, the actor. And, you know, you're supposed to like think, oh, it, are, it, are they talking about the murder with the murderer sitting framed perfectly right right behind them you know and and that's just fun I think that's the other thing here is that Hitchcock clearly is having fun I think he's having a lot of fun and trouble with Harry as well but he's definitely having fun playing playing those notes you know this Mm -hmm. is definitely one of those where he's playing the hits um, you know the Hitchcock hits the things that he likes to do in films and like you said those movies leading up to this he really doesn't right it doesn't look like it's that much fun this yeah. looks fun for hitchcock
0: it's like a throwback to something like rope or strangers on a train
1: yeah yeah
0: Where like yeah. he puts the murder right there in front of us and then asks us to kind of keep reacting to the twists and turns around it
1: right right yeah yeah no that's a great it's a great that's a great point um one of the things that uh it's also
0: the psychology of killer the psychology of evil
1: right right and um as i turn to the good book one more time i wanted to uh i wanted to read you this quote which i thought oh i'd love to hear what Jay. I always want to hear what jason sachs has to say but i want to know what jason sachs has to say about this i gotta find it as usual Um, you're
0: way too kind
1: but (laughs) it's something about talking about the killer um from uh the hitchcock Truffaut book i just gotta find the quote Um, It's basically saying, oops, oh, here it is. Um, So one of the things that uh, Truffaut asks is he says, um, uh, oh, here it is, Uh, Truffaut, do you prefer to shoot a screenplay with strong situations and sketchy characters or the opposite? Hitchcock, I prefer the strong situations. It's easier to put them into images. In order to probe a character in depth, you often need too many words. In Frenzy, the killer is likable. It's the situation that makes him disturbing. So my question is, is the killer likable in Frenzy?
0: Yeah, on the surface, I found him likable. Yeah. Yeah, Bob's your uncle, right? I mean, Bob's your uncle. Yeah, he's giving John Fitch tips on the horses. Yeah. He's giving him money, he's giving him fruit.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> um yeah. he seems to have a thriving business. Right. He, he's a guy who's relatively successful in his life. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But he's that's
0: f- all built on a house of sand or something. <laughs> <laughs> he's
1: sexually
0: very sexually twisted. perverse. <laughs> yes.
1: yes.
0: Do you agree with me, by the way? Is that how you see it also?
1: Um, because yeah, when I read that. When I read that, I was kind of like, is he likable? And I was like, it's the because it's it's the, the, the thing isn't, isn't the, is the killer likable? It's the situation, right? It's like, okay, yes, he's likable in the sense that he gives good tips on horses and, you know, has all the fruit that you could possibly want, but it's the situation. I'm like, okay the situation but he is part of the situation right i he's, guess
0: you know the more i think about this right he is he's manipulative huh. he's he's using his friendship with blaney to, to frame blaney for the murders yeah. he's committed yeah and
1: yeah i don't think he's like i think it's the other thing about you know about cinema about film and then hitchcock does obviously better than almost everyone is you don't think that Blaney's the killer like but for that first half hour for that first reel you're kind of like well who is it here and if you've seen enough movies you know modern audiences would sniff out Rusk and, and you know it doesn't take any time to figure out that he's not what he appears and you know Hitchcock gives that away it's like Hitchcock knows he knows that like he can't keep up this you know facade for this you know show for very long so let's just reveal who the killer is it's this guy who you know likes you know uh letter letter diamond encrusted letter pins yeah. and you know is really a, a a pervert and you know uh a, a misogynist and a hater of women
0: <laughs> but you know from the very first scene we're made to not like Blaney right Blaney right. steals the booze Um, you know he's his boss immediately criticized him for stealing the booze Um, he tries to get um, Babs to leave the place with him and so we feel like he's a bad influence he walks across the street to talk to his buddy Rusk and Rusk is like supportive and nice and so like there there is kind of this clear like in Marnie like in Psycho there's this kind of misdirection at the beginning yeah it's a big head fake
1: yeah. It's that, it's, it's definitely that closet door, you know, that you keep that keeps opening and you're just like, but with people. And I think the other thing about Blaney is like, he's supposed to be like, like outside the system, right? He's, he's giving it to the man. He's sort of this sort of mouthy kind of guy. Does he steal the booze? I guess. I don't know. You know, he gets a drink for free. He works in a bar. What are you going to do? But he's unrepentant, right? He's not like, Oh, I'm sorry. You know, I you know he's just like fuck you you know i don't
0: i don't yeah. you know, i can't say I, I wouldn't want. do the same thing
1: right 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 i pay for it what do you care you know
0: and the boss is giving no you all need. my hours of work i work those extra shifts for right. you what the fuck do you care if i take 10 pence worth of booze or whatever
1: right exactly a shot you know who cares yeah and the boss is you know he's no he's 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 no great shakes either i, I think the other thing that's interesting about these two movies um and I wanted to bring this up before is like Hitchcock really like, these are, these are bumbling cop movies. I mean, the, 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 the policemen in them never solve the crime. The crime sort of just you know drops the answers right in their lap uh,
0: yeah. every
1: time. Um, and, you know, in trouble with Harry, it's played for laughs. You know, they are supposed to be sort of Calvin, the deputy sheriff's kind of a bumbler, but for the most part, you know, Law and order is not something that Hitchcock is interested in at all. And then the, the preservation, it's like law and order is preserved in spite of the, the police.
0: <laughs> yeah, the cop in this movie is a pretty, pretty uh, likable character. But the but wife is the one who's last, able to, right? What's that? He's overmatched. The wife is the one who's able to see through things. <laughs>
1: yeah. It- and he's played for laughs. He's kind of like, like literally a body has to fall at the police's <laughs> feet for them to solve the, to solve the crime. It's, right. it's really kind of like, you know, it's just that idea that, you know, it's not what Hitchcock's interested in. He is not, this is not a procedural. He's not, you know, this is not the bad sleep. Well, this is, you know, not David Fincher, Zodiac. This is about, you know, just these this situation happening oh
0: and that's a great comparison though just like in zodiac the cops don't actually solve it they think they solve it but only at the very end like the cops are semi-incompetent in zodiac
1: no but they're real what you see i guess what i what i was getting at was more the procedural like this is how you go about it's not
0: a procedural yeah
1: right this is how you go about solving a murder a crime it's not
0: even french connection yeah
1: Right, right. It's not a procedural in that sense. That's what I was saying, you know, with that with that sense of it. But you know, if some crimes go unsolved. You don't always just have the body fall out of a potato sack at your feet and be like, Oh my gosh.
0: <laughs> the first time I saw this movie, there were two scenes that completely jumped out at me. Hmm. We've already alluded to one of them. I think we'll go back to that. The scene where Rusk is in the truck trying to get his pin back from, you know, the dead body of Babs is like spellbinding. Just breathtaking filmmaking. And as you mentioned before too, it's all silent, right? Maybe there's a little bit of mumbling there, but it's all basically silent. And you just feel this tension just grow and grow during the scene. And the weird way you have, you're hoping for Russ to get away. Yeah, yeah. Right, you, you were put in this position for rooting for the villain. Yeah. And uh, then when he gets away, at this I was feeling devastated that he got away at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the whole sequence is played out so beautifully. I think it's probably 15 minutes of film. Almost all completely silent. Yeah. Yeah. All taking place in the middle of the night. Yeah. um and he just trusts the audience to really go along with it understand what's happening and because of that he's just able to uh, tell tell us just fascinating piece that could only be done in cinema
1: yeah it, 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 and it's that sense of like it doesn't matter whether this guy is likable or not or despicable or not you already know he's the murderer he's trying to cover up his crime his murder you know, of this woman who he's raped and murdered. Oh, by the way.
0: Yeah, who we've already and, come to like.
1: Right, like exactly.
0: Likeable character.
1: Yeah, exactly. One of the few characters of, yeah, of merit. And on top of that, like you are rooting for him. That's the weird part. And it's the suspense. It's that idea that I have this image in my mind of, and, and you don't even realize it's a body inside there. You never, all you see is like, body parts mm-hmm. fingers a, a leg you know when the leg shoots out at him, you know you're like ah, oh, you're disgusted by it but it's just a
0: no and when you see the foot kicking him in the, the chin a couple hit. times it's like like it's almost funny
1: yeah 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 it's just amazing an amazing use of just images and just you following along and i think that's the other thing with you know hitchcock movies there's a funny anecdote Truffaut asks him about dubbing, and has he ever watched Psycho in another language? And Hitchcock talks about. I think he says, you know, in Indonesia they play all American movies, uh, or all non-Indonesian or Taiwanese, whatever movies, with the sound off, and then someone describes what the characters are talking about on the side. And so Hitchcock's whole the whole point of the conversation is about how movies are about images and creating these images that create a mood in the audience and that scene in the back of that truck and those sacks of potatoes that is all of, that is just strictly mood and image and that's it and and you have this incredible feeling about it when you watch it
0: actually one of the arguments i could make to say this is top of the line hitchcock because the images in this film are so vivid yeah throughout the film i can't think of any images that felt canned or awkward maybe a couple scenes in the taxis where you get the rear projection but this this movie's a very vivid film
1: yeah it's a very you know very heavy on images that's why i mean even that opening shot of you know going down the thames with whatever the plane or helicopter or whatever it was you know it, it sets the mood it sets the scene as you said before I think the other thing too is, you know, this is a movie about strangulation, the necktie killer. I mean, it's not a, it's, there's no blood, but in some ways it's almost worse. I mean, you know, seeing someone strangled and, you know, with a necktie that just adds a little bit of Hitchcock kink that you're just like, Oh God, you know, could have been anything else, but no, they're ties. Um, And, and, you know, the tongue sticking out and all that. I mean, it's, it's it's pretty brutal that's what i was saying you know it it's psycho but it's like psycho with like you know you know hands off you know haze code removed it's 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 psycho but um it, 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 it's i'm trying to think of like a, a, a real lurid sort of director or um
0: yeah, this is this movie um, and i don't know who's enough the, about who's this the faster f- pussycat i don't know enough about these movies to to know about it but been compared a lot to italian giallo films
1: yeah 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 that's a great that's a great comparison yeah i mean it's got that giallo feel to it especially you know the corpses and the deaths and again just no blood there'd be a lot more blood with giallo
0: <laughs> i've only seen a couple argentos i have d- delved yeah. into that very much at all but
1: yeah mario bava be a lot more blood um just about the same amount of kink but you know a little bit more blood with bavo or argento yeah uh
0: So this kind of brings us to the scene that really is incredibly uncomfortable, the trigger warning scene. (laughs) Yeah. Like it it, is like legitimately like is uh, one of the most painful things Mm -hmm. I've ever forced myself to watch in a, certainly in a mainstream Hollywood film by a great director. Yeah. Uh, The rape scene is, um, I'll, I'll put it this way, the whole sequence of uh, Russ going into his ex-wife's uh, business and right. then harassing her assistant and then um, killing his ex-wife. Yeah. Everything about that sequence was so challenging to watch. Right. It just pained me as a caring human being to watch that. Yes. And um Another film I haven't seen, but it's how I imagine Texas Chainsaw being. Hmm. Um, no interest in seeing that, especially after seeing something like this. Hmm. Um, yeah, I think it's a it's a great scene, and I appreciate that Hitchcock was freed from the confines of the code and allowed him to create a scene like this. Yeah. Um, I'm curious since you were making your point about do we need to see everything? Is this one of the moments where you're like, there's a lot here that I just did not need to see.
1: So I'm going to go in a, I'm going to go in a worse direction. Um, Have you ever seen the movie irreversible? No. Okay. So irreversible uh, starring Monica, Monica Bellucci um, has what is considered the most difficult to watch rape scene uh in cinema. Um it's not a movie that you tread, it's not a movie that you're like, hey, what's you well, know, I got a couple hours to kill. I think I'll watch uh I think i watch a Gasper Noe movie about a rape. Um uh, okay. in some ways the rape is not the worst part of the movie. There's another scene famously used in um uh the Ryan Gosling driver movie that I'm blanking on. It's late in the day, Jason, so I'm having trouble picking up uh picking up my, my brain working. So the thing I, was, I wanted, the reason I bring up Irreversible is not to be like, hey, everybody, want to watch a rape movie? Um, the, 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 the rape is done almost in real time in irreversible. Mm-hmm. And the weird thing about it is you see everything that happens from the moment that it begins all the way through, no way, you know, unsparing as always, doesn't let, let you up. And when people watch it and then they're asked, how long does the rape occur? Everyone says a different amount of time. Some people say it lasts 20 minutes. Some people say it lasts five minutes. Some people say it lasts, you know, whatever. The same effect Hitchcock gets here is that scene seemed to go on forever. It was uncomfortable. It's a really long walk to to get to my point, which is just that it's an uncomfortable scene and it feels longer than it is and it feels worse than it is and that's a credit to the filmmaker um really getting you at that point of feeling like oh you want to know what this is real how oh, you want to know how bad this is for the person that the victim i'm gonna put you in their place and make you feel that and that you know again we're talking about rape here but i mean it's absolutely horrific and yeah it feels like it lasts longer than it should, right? It goes past the point of making you feel like, oh, this person is being attacked. It, 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 it's uncomfortable. And, it, you know, in the middle, it's sort of got this lurid breast popping scene. And this, you know, it, you, that's why I was just kind of like, it's too much. I, like, I didn't need to see that. I don't, I've watched Irreversible ones. It's one of those one and done movies that you never need to watch again. Frenzy a little bit different, but um, still has that feeling of, not that you can't look away, but that you are drawn to it and it, how uncomfortable it makes you feel. And that that's a credit again to Hitchcock and filmmaking.
0: Yeah, I don't think I have much to add to that. I, I just felt, <laughs> yeah, I think that's a really good way of summarizing it. Yeah, I couldn't tell you if that scene was five minutes or 20 minutes, but I can but tell you- it feels I,
1: long, right? It's uncomfortable.
0: I felt profoundly uncomfortable during that. And I appreciated that as um, uh, Hitchcock doing something different compared to everything else he's ever done, Right, rising to the challenge and delivering something that was legitimately terrifying.
1: The shower scene is the same thing. He achieves the same amount of suspense and the same amount of horror in the shower scene and the same sort of revulsion in the psycho shower scene that he does in this movie with that with the, with, with the rape scene with Rusk's, uh, you know, rape. Um, and just so, you know, Drive was the Ryan Gosling movie I was trying to think of where uh, they borrow this very horrific death in that from uh, Irreversible as well, not the rape scene, but anyway. And I um, think
0: I said his ex-wife when, of course it wasn't his ex-wife, it was just the woman who was running the dating agency. His, right his but it's, it,
1: it's blaney's ex-wife yeah yeah and and the other thing that's so wild about that i mean first of all dating agency that part's weird but on top of that it's like he walks in and these women deal with him like they they are forced to deal with this person like so many you know as as a straight white cisgendered male uh so many women have to deal with creeps but this, they have to deal with this guy. And obviously, you know, it doesn't go well. Ha ha ha. But also just like, it's it that, I think that's the other part. It's such an invasion, like that this guy is in their space and they can't get rid of him. Yeah. You know, it's like the rape starts earlier than that. Maybe that's why it feels longer than it is.
0: And that way it feels a little bit feministic. It's got a little bit of a feminist feel to it. Hmm. women can't get rid of him he's invaded their space yeah they're trapped with him because of the society they live in and the way that the gender roles are portrayed you know for the minute he walks in they're like no 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 we don't want to talk to you you're perverse you can't we don't want to we don't ever want to talk to you but uh i think there's i don't know i i'm not i haven't done any feminist reading honestly but i think there's a, a a way of seeing this as them being kind of trapped in the roles at least their professional roles if nothing else yeah where they have to give this man some measure of uh, attention
1: yeah yeah
0: so this is one of those scenes where i would hope that now you just quickly dial 911 on your phone and you're free well, of this but you know he but, specifically knocks the phone out of her hands to prevent uh but he, from But he call, also using it.
1: But he also i mean you know why do you rob banks because that's where the money is he you know he plans this out he says i knew when your secretary left i locked the door behind me like he has a plan he knows what he went there to do he knows what he's going to do so as much as it's dealing she's trying to be courteous i guess and maybe that's the you know feminist part of this where you're like trying to deal with a man um on his own terms it's also just one of those things where Like, no, he's there to commit a crime. He's there to kill. Um, And she's just, you know, victim, unfortunate. I don't know. All of the above.
0: Yeah. I don't know if I want to talk about that more as much as I want to. Ah, This is like maybe as meant, uh, kind of gives a feeling for my extreme uh, discomfort Hitchcock put in me.
1: Well, I, I think one of the things is that, you know, part of the joy of watching a Hitchcock movie is is he does such a good job of transporting you, right? I know people always talk about, oh, I watch movies to, to be transported, to go to outer space, to go to this place, wherever. And Hitchcock just does, has that amazing ability, puts you in a place, whether it's rural Vermont or, you know, Covent Gardens in London and the surrounding neighborhoods or whatever. And I think that that's the other thing that is, you know, like, in some ways, in this, you know, this movie's 1972, mm-hmm. so you know, 50 years old now, and it's it's very, still very contemporary. Yeah, sure, sure. There's some things that just you know wouldn't work nowadays, but it still has that very much contemporary feel and that very much that feeling of being of its time, but also you know transcending because it's that mood. It puts you in that place. And I think that that's the other thing about, you know, all Hitchcock movies that this one might not be as fun, but it's being a lot more, again, I use that word authentic um, that I used in Trouble with Harry. Like, no, this is what, you know, murder, rape, you know, a so, psychosexual so would killer you, would be like.
0: Would you say this fits in with the other classic 70s cinema that you and I love so much?
1: Wow. I wasn't ready for that one, Sax.
0: Because I was playing with that, and yeah. I think it does. Yeah, I think he rises to, you know, that we talked before. The seventy, the late sixties, early seventies cinema, is my favorite era. Yeah, in part because the okay. rules are being broken. People are trying experiments. Um, we're getting a little more in touch with real human emotions. We're um, moving past cliche. Yeah, and he does that continuously here. Also, yeah. it really has such a strong sense of place that, you know, like Mean Streets, like Dog uh, Day Afternoon, mm-hmm. like, you know, like so many other movies of that era, it really is, takes place in a specific place. Shaft th- is another great example of that.
1: Yeah, I, you know, one movie, the first movie we ever talked about, you know, on this, on uh, Movie Knots, you know, Clue. This is almost very much, you know, the, the there's a killer in clue, right? Who's murdering women? Um, and, and and this one too, it's almost like, and I know this is way revisionist thinking, but it's almost like Hitchcock was like, Okay, kids, you know, let's let me show you how a master does it. And and he makes that 70s movie, you know, what we call a 70s movie, but he's Alfred Hitchcock. So, like, you know he's a genius. Everyone is, you know, he's, he's Alfred Hitchcock.
0: I personally think that's a great reading of it.
1: Yeah. I'm not agreeing with myself. I'm just saying. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. Yeah.
0: Okay. Okay. So I, I, I'd be resident, reticent. No, I'd be wrong. I have two more points I want to make on this movie. Uh, The one I feel like I have to make is we see this one, extended rape scene, which is horrible. Then there's three other moments in the film where we're taken away from the emotions, mm. which is a very interesting storytelling choice. First, we don't see the secretary discover the dead body. Mm. We get that the beautiful screen. scene of yeah. the camera panning down the stairs. Yeah. And then we get to the bottom of the stairs and we hear the scream. And the two other scenes actually, where he does the same thing, which is the two, two other necktie murderer scenes. Or is it just one? I guess there's more just the one other when he kills Babs.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and again, the camera comes down the stairs. We get this like it must be a two to two and a half minute shot that just goes down the stairs now. Slow descent
1: down the stairs, yeah.
0: Um it's just beautiful movie making.
1: Yeah, I the the interesting thing about that that tracking shot down the stairs that is just you know very Hitchcock, like. You know what's going to happen in that room. You know, that woman is going to be murdered and probably raped as well. Yeah. And you, it's the ultimate lean in scene, right? The camera is tracking backwards and you're just leaning in. You're like, no, you want to help her and you can't. The camera is taking you away. Yes. Away, away. And it's all camera. That's just the movement of the camera. No one is saying anything. It's silent. There's no oh talking God. whatsoever. It's just you and the image, and you are there, and you can't do
0: shit. <laughs> you just, you just put something really clear in my mind. One of the reasons why it's so hard watching Brainy, uh, Brenda's rape and murder is that we're stuck as bystanders. Yeah, we can't take action.
1: Yeah,
0: uh, we're like James Stewart in Rear Window. Yeah, we're just watching it, and yep. because of that, like it's so that makes it even more painful because you know if you were there at least in your mind you'd have a chance to do something about it right and then these the other two scenes were taken away from it completely we're given no chance to make any changes to anything yeah therefore we completely like shut out from even the experience of it which is in its own way even more hard emotionally to deal with
1: right bad shit's going down Sax, and you can't do anything about it
0: Bad shit's going down a lot yeah. of bad shit is going down
1: yeah, um, I turn once again to uh, Hitchcock Truffaut. And uh, this is just, this is, you know, Francois Truffaut is a great uh, filmmaker, but he's a, equally a good writer and a critic. Um, he called Frenzy a crossword puzzle of systematically organized vertical and horizontal cross cut coincidence on the motif of murder. And I think that's, yeah, like that's poetry, right? Wow, And and just this idea that all these, you know, those cross cut, it's like a crossword puzzle, you know, just as this thing is happening, this other part comes across and it's all dealing again, we get back to that idea that he's mentioned, you know, situation really doesn't, it's a situation that matters, not the characters. I mean, there's nothing about any of the performers in this movie or their performances really that it couldn't be anybody else, right? Couldn't it, if this wasn't John Finch and it was Jim Finch or, you know, Jim Sparrow, you wouldn't sit there and be like, wow, Jim Sparrow was amazing in this movie. No, it's all about the situations that they're put in, those cinematic situations. I think that's the other thing about this movie that is really, you know, visual, visual, that cinematic idea. And, you know, one of the things I think is interesting about, He sort of hitchcock tells you who the killer is right away i mean the lodger right the lodger is jack the ripper
0: (laughs) right right and we know that from the very beginning (laughs)
1: right and you know that from the start you know and that's the other part is sort of what is going to happen and once you know rusk is the murderer it's so like how's he going to get away with it Mm -hmm. um and, and that's the other part that is just you know again it's 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 the master showing the kids how the game's really played.
0: The only part that I found frustrating about this film is I could not figure out the timeline in the second half. The trial it's happened time. so quickly. The timeline? What do you mean? The timeline. So, um, you know, uh, uh, Blaney gets arrested. Yeah.
1: Oh, okay. Goes okay, on okay. trial yeah.
0: Yeah. almost immediately and is convicted almost immediately. Wow, the real, the wheels of justice must move so quickly in England. <laughs> and then um, I did not buy at all his ability to escape. Yeah, yeah. Like that was a, completely implausible to me. Yeah. He somehow, he, first he throws himself down the stairs, he goes into a hospital. He talks his fellow prisoners into <laughs> using their sleeping pills and they yeah. drug a, a, a... The guard. The guard. and No one actually guards the doors to make sure he doesn't escape. While wow, the prisons like really to get out of in England, and then right. uh, he hot wires the car, something we had no idea he was able to do. <laughs> uh like that whole little sequence. Like yeah. I can't figure out the time, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, how long oh, did it no, take him to go on saying. trial? Was yeah, it like the yeah. next week?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's some jumps here that uh you know are movie magic, sort of you gotta just set that stuff aside and
0: it's total hand waving,
1: right? Right, but but again, it it and that's why I think it's um, it's why those other movies like Psycho, like Rear Window, that you realize how tightly constructed of a perfect construction those movies are and how all that happens. Because in this one. Right. You're absolutely right. Like he gets arrested and it, even even when he gets arrested. Right. There's. And even when they find it, the whole potato truck sequence, you're like, well, how did he get back? Mm-hmm. You know, where did he go? He goes and hides in the bathroom and that's a typical, you know, Hitchcock move, but he gets back and everything's hunky-dory and nothing really, you know, happens. He gets away, he gets away with it. Um, you know, and, and in between, and should we not forget that uh, the uh, the chief inspector, and his wife, and the dinner scenes, which are all, you know, when I talk about dark comedy, um, are interspersed in these this murder rape movie that we were
0: yeah. talking
1: about earlier. Yeah. And they're totally these domestic scenes of this woman cooking all these recipes for her husband. And one after another is just more disgusting than the last. It's like you just see Hitchcock sitting back and laughing at delaying and, and deferring and deferring and deferring. And deferring with these moments of comedy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's forcing you to, to stay on the edge of your seat the entire time. Right,
1: right, right. But but pulling you back, you know, to laugh at these scenes. Did did you so I got to think Jason that there's a point where she serves like capons or quail or something. Yeah. It looked exactly like the meal that uh, our poor friend in Eraser gets served.
0: Oh my like, god, it totally snapped to my mind.
1: Yeah, it's right. the first thing I thought of. First well, thing, and, I thought and
0: of. it's so likely that um, that uh, Lynch he would have seen it. Yeah, yeah, because the movie came like Frenzy S- was in there the same time Lynch was creating Eraserhead.
1: Yeah, yeah, like I expected those things when he cut it open to just deflate. Yeah,
0: and and, and Lynch was, you know, he was hanging out with film geeks. Yeah, there's no they way he couldn't Frenzy. have seen this.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, sorry to delay you on on picking apart the parts of Frenzy that (laughs) don't (laughs) work that well with with like, did you see the chickens?
0: (laughs) So I rated Frenzy right at the middle of the pack in terms of my favorite Hitchcock films.
1: So now you're leading me. Now you're a better man than me as always. So you've seen all these Hitchcock movies and you were rattling them off before. I'm like, yeah, never got around to that one. Never got around to that one. Do you have a favorite? Do, do you have a top? Don't tell me your favorite. Tell me your top three and we'll we'll leave it up to the audience to decide which is tops.
0: Okay, so I have a whole set of Hitchcock movies I've seen many times, mm-hmm. but I'm really only now counting the movies I've seen in the last year or two. Okay. So there's a, a lot, but um so part of this goes by my memory. Uh, uh, my I'm gonna pull up my Hitchcock page on uh, Letterboxd uh, my all-time favorite Hitchcock movie is North by Northwest I love that film it's the it's just an entertainment machine mm-hmm. I just think it's completely fun enjoyable hugely entertaining I even used a pen name the pen name of George Kaplan once upon a time <laughs> when I was working on Amazing Heroes we had bylines yeah, and yeah because I didn't want to have too many of me in, as a byline my byline was George Kaplan uh i just think that's a a delightful movie and um that's number two shot in
1: all of cinema
0: yeah uh number two psycho because psycho is a brilliant film uh i don't like the second half as much as the first half Mm. but i think the swerve is brilliant yeah i actually this is going to be kind of a boring list because it's kind of (laughs) scratch uh because number three would have to be rear window Okay. which i just saw again for uh just a, a couple of weeks ago and was amazed by so much of that film the technical virtuosity sound design um the unconventional way the film plays out and then yeah. the kind of multi-dimensional way we interpret it yeah but okay here's here's the oddball answer then number Good. four and number five i'm not sure what order okay i put the lady vanishes in the 39 steps
1: Oh, excellent, excellent, excellent.
0: Because they are just hugely entertaining. And yeah. talk about swerves. The Lady Vanishes is a comedy that turns yeah. into a drama, that turns yeah. into a mistaken identity kind of thing, where is this person really correct in their belief? And it fucks with your mind the entire time. <laughs> Plus, I really like the gay couple. And I thought that was like, even if it was accidental, I thought it was just really fun. Yeah. So about what about Yuki?
1: Oh, oh, um, well, I my, my my go-to answer is Rear Window, um, and because Rear Window is about film, it's about watching, it's about watching film. Even the the courtyard, they look like film strips. Um, but my real love of Rear Window is Grace Kelly. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I never it was a, it has no luridness here. It was a formative experience when someone talks about what a movie star is and what, when you look at a movie star, what that means. And to me, that's Grace Kelly. And she's not really even a movie star, right? Is she is, James Stewart's the real, Jimmy Stewart's the real movie star in that movie, but just this idea of this, you know, you know, the epitome of, you know, gorgeous, women and and beautiful women and beautiful human beings grace kelly is that and she is just amazing in that movie just everything about grace kelly i love everything about grace kelly in that movie and that was one of those like oh this is what they mean when they say movie star it's grace kelly in rear window you know i
0: loved about her in that movie is that um she dresses beautifully she's into fashion and everything but she's got this very adult relationship with james stewart right she brings over her sleeping clothes, right? Yep. And then yep. um, towards the end, she does physical stuff. She puts herself in the line of danger. She climbs yeah. up and down the trellises outside the apartments. Like yeah. this isn't just some China doll.
1: Yeah, it, it, it's a China doll, but like she kicks ass, right? I mean, yeah. she is the epitome of agency. We talk about agency and female agency in, in media it's grace kelly in rear window like every answer comes back to grace kelly in rear window for me
0: they seem like they would be such a happy married couple too because they are real equals to each other
1: yeah we this this is interesting because i always think about jeff jeff right jeff in Mm -hmm. rear window jimmy stewart um we were talking with the the kids recently about we watched the movie Tick Tick Boom. And Jonathan Larson is this very driven character. Jeff is the same thing, right? He's very driven. Like it's all about his career. And you wouldn't know, you know, would, would you you can't get, you know, you know, whatever dinner when you're, you know, wearing a pith helmet and backpacking through the Sahara or whatever. And he's putting down um, I keep calling her Grace Kelly. He keeps putting down Lisa. Grace Kelly. Lisa, you're right. He's putting down Lisa at this whole thing, like, you can't do this, you can't do that, this macho bullshit that he's pulling out. And and you know, she's the one who acts and does more than her. And of course, Thelma Ritter. Sorry, I gotta yeah. give a shout yeah. out to Thelma Ritter. Another, another woman of action in in rear window. I mean, but but I think that's the other thing about you know uh Jimmy Stewart in that movie is that he's an uh, he's unlikable right Jeff is not he's not unlikable again I'm sorry to keep using that word but he's a jerk and that's what we were talking about with Tick Tick Boom is like Jonathan Larson the character you know Andrew Garfield plays is kind of a jerk but he's a he's not he's complex that's what's so interesting about Jeff is how Stewart is stuck in this wheelchair but he creates this incredibly complex character
0: well Jeff has an arc to him though not just discovering the murder and revealing the murder but he comes to realize how important lisa is to him by the end he appreciate because he's sidelined it gives him the freedom to appreciate the greatness of this woman who really is attracted to him he grows he grows yeah Yeah. his character has a real arc to him true growth so he starts as a jerk but he ends up as being someone who i found just really quite likable yeah, I, I think the
1: other thing too is like it helps to cast Jimmy Stewart in that role, right? Yeah. I mean, that's the other, that's again, I talk about A Rear Window as a perfect movie in every aspect possible. And it's like that actor, again, a movie star known for being this sort of everyman character starts off as this obnoxious jerk. And by the end, he grows. He has an arc, as you say. Um, So, yeah. So rear window is my answer to almost any question. The other one that I absolutely love is the 39 steps. I think the 39 steps is one of my, when you said that you were like, Oh, I'm like, yeah, that's my, that's my jam. And it's because it is so entertaining. Like you think to yourself like, Oh, hitch, like you go into the 39 steps, black and white Hitchcock, 1940, whatever. This is just going to be some fuddy duddy, you know, kind of like thing but it's riveting it's edge of your seat entertainment all the way through from start to finish north by north it's it's north by northwest without the all the track all the without the budget
0: (laughs) without it feels very lean
1: yeah it's punk it is punk baby and and robert Donat is so awesome in that movie
0: awesome (laughs) it is yeah so what's your number three then
1: Um, again, I go chalk, I, I, I've come to, I've come to learn to enjoy vertigo, vertigo. Um, it's such a, you know, I like to take big bites and it's such a big bite of a movie. And there's so much that happens in that movie that it, it, it really is a, you know, it's like, you can't watch this thing unless you've watched a hundred other movies and you've got a good sense of, of cinema and movies because it's difficult. It's boring. The first time I watched it, I'm like, what is the point? And what mm-hmm. is all the hype? you know this movie is so uh, overhyped. but then the more time you spend with it and you think about it and you're like, oh okay, you know it's a real grower. It takes a long time to grow. So I would say vertigo, I have a funny story. Um, So when all the Hitchcock got, when the Hitchcock movies first got released, to DVD, um, my wife and I, we'd been married probably a couple of years before kids. And we went to Canada and we did some Christmas shopping up in Canada. And I bought the box, first box set. And it was Psycho, Vertigo, and I think Rear Window. I think that was the three pack that they put out, like can't miss, right? And um, so we got stopped by customs coming back over the border and they inspected our stuff and i said to the the inspector i said i said look i said i bought my, my my wife some christmas presents please don't you know give it away it's supposed to be a surprise and she's she sort of gave me the you know the hairy eyeball and she said okay <laughs> so we got done and she walked over to me and she said so what was the gift for your wife psycho or big daddy i was like big daddy psycho was my, my pick and he's like okay <laughs> so so yeah you know again um uh shadow of a doubt is another favorite for me because i love joseph cotton yeah that's another one that i would put up there as, another slow uh, burn too yeah another slow burn but just again joseph cotton like mr you know citizen kane mr you know talk about the everyman yeah. um you know, and being playing against type. Um, and you know, Uncle Charlie, Uncle Charlie, who's a Uncle
0: Charlie and niece niece Charlie, yeah.
1: Asshole. <laughs> it's
0: a, it's <laughs> that's a, a polite movie, word for no killer. him.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, I mean, I go back and forth. I think the other thing that's amazing with Hitchcock and really, you know, comes out in these two movies is you really can't go wrong, right? You really you you know if you're trying to learn about cinema, if you're trying to learn about movies, you can do worse than educating yourself on Alfred Hitchcock, yeah. making that your, your text.
0: Yeah, I agree completely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, any man, to me, he, I, I, he fits in the same category as Kurosawa, mm. where, yeah. uh, you know, chances are greater than 50-50, you're gonna watch one of his movies and just be just blown away by craftsmanship, the quality of the characters, the cinematography, There's only a handful of creators in film history who you can say that about. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, Hitchcock's one of them.
0: Right. We didn't even talk about notorious or rope or.
1: Oh, that's probably my third. My third is probably notorious. Okay. I love notorious. I forgot. I can't believe I forgot about that one. Yeah. I'm a criterion snob. So yeah. The the
0: chemistry between Cary Grant and Ingrid Bergman. Oh, she is. I mean, uh, I could watch Ingrid Bergman movies all day. Probably have. <laughs> have you ever I really, heard Yeah,
1: the, the, uh, you know, just got done doing this piece with uh, Daniel and, and Soul Rad, where we talk more about music than we talk about comics. But um, check out the song. There's a song by Billy Bragg and Wilco that uh, off Mermaid Avenue um, called okay. Ingrid Bergman. And when you listen to that song, you're like, yep. If you dig Ingrid Bergman, (laughs) you'll dig the song Ingrid Bergman by Wilco and Billy Bragg.
0: Yeah. As always, Keith, this has been really fun.
1: Oh, thank you, Jason. It's my pleasure.